0: Hey, I just want to say thank you for checking out this message today. I hope that it helps you, that it encourages you, and that you are able to learn a little bit more about who God is and why so many people throughout history have chosen to become followers of Jesus. If you enjoy this message and you want to hear more, you can find us on Facebook or YouTube But ultimately, you can find everything you need to know at clcwinnipeg.ca. There you can find more messages, you can find our social handles, ways to get connected to our church, and if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do that as well. And like I said before, I hope that you are encouraged by the message you're about to hear. God bless you. Hey everyone, my name is Scott, and today I want to talk to you about a pretty familiar story, David and Goliath. If you don't know the story, it's one of the most famous underdog stories of all time. David is a shepherd boy faced up against Goliath, who is this nine foot tall giant, who was a trained warrior and who had been chosen by the Israelites' rivals, the Philistines, to represent them in this unique type of war where each side would pick their champion and whoever won would end up being declared the winner of the war. And the Israelites, seeing Goliath, were all way too scared to go and fight him. So the two armies were stuck, unable to settle this war, because no one would face Goliath. And every day, Goliath would come out to the middle of the battlefield, and he would taunt the Israelites, challenging them to a fight. And every day, no one would respond from the Israelites' side, until David walked in. David walked in there with all the irrational confidence of a 16-year-old boy, which He was about that, and he said, I can do it. He goes right to the king and tells him that he's going to take on Goliath, and the king's response makes sense. He says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David, he has some tricks up his sleeve. See he goes out there with nothing but a slingshot and five smooth stones. He hits Goliath right in between the eyes, knocks him out, and then he runs over and cuts off Goliath's head. But everyone in David's life around him was worried for him. We see David's brother come up to him in 1 Samuel 17, verse 28, and start yelling at David, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave the few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. And then David tells the king, Saul, that he wants to fight Goliath. And Saul says in verse 33, you were not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You were only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David convinces Saul that he'll be okay. And then Saul tries to give David all of his armor so that he at least has some protection from Goliath. David tries on the armor though. And he says, nope, this is too heavy. And he goes out instead, picks up five smooth stones from a creek, and he walks onto the battlefield. Even David's father, Jesse, he wasn't there, but he had sent David out there to go make sure that his brothers were okay. He had told David to bring them food and bring back some assurance from them. That's the only reason David was even there. So to recap, what is it that David is hearing as he goes out to fight Goliath? One, if I die, my dad will be crushed. I'm too young to do this. Goliath is too skilled for me to defeat. I'm just doing this because I'm too proud. And then his brothers thought, what about all the sheep? Who's watching them? And on top of all of these things that David is thinking, he has to wrestle with the thought, if I don't win this, I'll die. And all of my country will become slaves to the Philistines. The Stakes were really, really high. And for most of us, we'd probably have some of these thoughts and start to go, you know what, maybe everyone is right. I don't think I can do this anymore. And then the spiral begins, and you're not going to war anymore. But David had a different soundtrack. David continued his journey, walked onto the battlefield, ignored all the other people's worries about him, and ended up slaying a giant. So we're on week three of our series called Soundtracks. And as we talk about the stories that we tell ourselves that form us, we're trying our best to identify some of the negative stories that we tell ourselves and replace them with the good stories about ourselves and our lives that we can get from God and the Bible. And today we're talking about worry. Some have said that worry is causing ourselves to suffer twice. Most of the things we worry about don't happen and the things that do, we've already had to go through the emotions of what it might be like if they had happened. And then we have to face them when the bad things actually do happen. So it sounds awful to put yourself through suffering twice, but the truth is that a lot of people do a lot of worrying. And we've been talking lately about three filters to apply to our thought lives. These filters are one, is it true? Two, is it helpful? And three, is it kind? Everybody has a tendency to think things that aren't true, that aren't helpful, and that aren't kind to ourselves. And the problem with worry is that it usually gets a big no when you apply any of these three questions to it. Let's go through them. First off, is it true? Penn State did a study of people with generalized anxiety disorder, where they had people write down all of the things that they worried about. And you know what they found? 91% of the things that they worry about never happened. 91%, only about 8.5% of the things that we worry about are ever actually going to happen. So are our worries true? Most likely, no. The worst case scenario usually Doesn't happen. Second, is it helpful? This is actually the one where I think that there might be some reasonable pushback. You might be thinking, my worrying actually keeps us safe because I'm more prepared. And that's true sometimes. Parents worry about their kids all the time because they want them to be safe. And that's good. But we're actually gonna move these worries to a different category called concern. There's a difference between a sense of responsibility and preparedness and worrying because concern leads us into action. Concern looks like handing your teenager a cell phone so that they can call you if they get into trouble while they're out of the house. Worry is sitting at home while your teenager's is out getting worked up, about all the possibilities that could have happened to them and all the things that could have gone wrong. Concern, Looks like going to your university a few days before school starts and figuring out where your bus gets off and where your classes are and making sure you've looked at your syllabus and you bought the books you need. Worry is thinking you've taken too many classes before you've even begun. Thinking that you won't be able to handle the course load and you'll probably have to drop out of classes or fail and if you fail, then you'll be behind in your program and you might never graduate and then you'll never be able to get that dream job that you wanted and doing that all before school even starts. So what's actually helpful? Concern can definitely be helpful. Concern gets us motivated to prepare. Worry doesn't help us. Worrying is wasting your time focusing on things that aren't happening, and like we established, probably won't, and making yourself feel worse and worse. And third is it kind. A lot of worry seems to center on our own inadequacy. We worry that we don't have what it takes, that we're not good enough, that everyone is out to get us, and that's not true. Like we said, worrying is like causing ourselves to suffer twice. It hurts you now, and if on the off chance that thing you're worrying about does happen, then you have to suffer all over again later. So we need to learn how to be kind to ourselves. How do we fight worry? The good news that I have for you today is that I believe you can beat your worry and God wants to help you with this. One thing I do want to make clear before we get much further is that I want to be really clear about what we're addressing today. Some of us have have a habit of worrying And we want to talk about scripture and tools to help that. But if you find that you're worrying and your anxiety is actually getting in the way of your life and is becoming an outsized problem in your life, then it's not a bad thing to check with a doctor. I believe that there may be things in this message that can help you and that giving it to God is a great place to start. But I also want you to know that we are not afraid of doctors and medicine and getting the help that you may need. We believe that one day all sickness and afflictions are going to be healed in heaven. But we also believe that God may use our human wisdom to help to be able to heal us as well. There is help available if you need it. So with that being said, we're going to go back to the story of David and Goliath. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Jim spent some time asking who our favorite bands were. As we were introducing this series called Soundtracks, he was wondering who some of the bands and singers were that have made up the soundtracks of our lives. And I believe that's not the only place that we may get soundtracks from. Sometimes we might get them from the books we read. Books contain worlds and ideas that we can dive into for hours and hours as we read them, and sometimes they stick with us. One of the authors who has created soundtracks in my own life is named Malcolm Gladwell. He's been my favorite author for a really long time. He's a journalist and an author who's really known for the way he looks at the world. And he often tells stories to make a point that no one else sees. Some of his most popular work is just part of culture now. Like his idea that to become truly great at something like playing the piano or shooting a basketball On average, you will have to put in 10,000 hours of intentional practice to truly become an expert. Therefore, he established and popularized the 10,000 hour rule. But today I want to talk to you about one of his big ideas that has really stayed with me. In his book, David and Goliath, Malcolm Gladwell talks about what we miss in the story of David and Goliath. We talked about all the people around David who were so concerned about him. They didn't think he had what it takes, and they thought Goliath was going to charge David and take him out. But what David seems to have on his side is a better soundtrack. He didn't seem worried, he seemed confident. So what might have been the soundtrack that David had playing in his mind? Well, here's three. First off, he had more ability than people thought. One way that David convinced Saul To let him go and fight Goliath was by telling Saul about all the exploits that he had in other battles. David, as a shepherd, sometimes had to defend his sheep from predators. And he tells Saul that he had killed lions and bears in order to protect his family's herd of sheep. But how would a teenager have done that? Especially without, probably the only thing we'd be able to do that with, a firearm. Well, Malcolm Gladwell breaks down The weapon that he actually used to defeat Goliath. He had a sling. Slingers in those days were kind of like archers. There were the regular foot soldiers who had swords and shields, and then there were the slingers who did all the long-range attacks. David had trained himself to be a slinger. And you can just imagine that David might have put his 10,000 hours in while watching sheep out in a field sitting down and slinging rocks against trees while the sheep ate. And he'd apparently gotten pretty good at this. From what we know historically, slingers were a really powerful tool in war. They could hurl these stones incredibly hard. The world record in modern times for the furthest distance to sling a stone was 437 meters. That's about five football fields. Just this week, I found a guy slinging a stone on YouTube at about 70 meters per second. That's like 260 kilometers per hour. And Malcolm Gladwell references medieval tapestries that suggest that good slingers could hit birds in flight with their stones. So David is walking onto the battlefield knowing that he had an incredible weapon on his side, but he also had an advantage based on where they were having this battle. David picked up five smooth stones from the valley. And people have gone and looked at the rocks from that valley. And it turns out they're about four times as dense as a regular rock. So when David slung this stone at Goliath, that stone would have had about the same impact as a 45 millimeter handgun. I think David ran out there thinking, this is going to be easier than trying to hit a lion or a bear. He was facing a nine-foot giant who was going to be slow, who probably had a big forehead that made a big easy target. And David knew exactly how good he was with that sling. Soundtrack number two, his opponent was playing the wrong game. David was able to keep in mind that Goliath was playing the wrong game. See, Goliath was wearing armor that was about 125 pounds. And his spear was enormous, weighing about 15 pounds at the end of it. And he was big and slow. And Goliath was expecting for another foot soldier to come at him with a sword. And if another soldier did, Goliath was probably going to win. He could swing that sword or throw that spear with that long reach. And the other person might not have even gotten close to him. But David didn't need to get close to Goliath. He whipped a stone at him. And honestly, when he did that, he might have not have just knocked him out. If he hit Goliath between the eyes, he might have actually killed him on impact. David didn't walk out onto that field as an underdog. He walked out onto that field as a very dangerous warrior. And soundtrack number three, God was gonna help him win the day. So David walks out there with the confidence that he has the skills He has the right weapon. He has the strategy to take Goliath down. And here's what he knows to be coming his way. The king has promised whoever takes Goliath down a lot of wealth, to get to marry one of Saul's daughters, and their family is going to live tax-free on top of that. And they're gonna win the battle, and he's gonna free his people from the prospect of slavery. They will reign over the Philistines instead, and God will be glorified. David is walking out there knowing that it's going to be a great day for the people of God because he has everything he needs to win the day. So I apologize if that ruined the story of David and Goliath a little bit for some of you. Maybe it's not quite what you thought it was. And maybe you're still not sure what David being better than we thought has to do with us. How does David having all these skills and abilities help us to fight worry? Here's the thing, we can have better soundtracks too. This is the part where we're going to learn what we can do to wage war against our worry. Let's look at Jesus, Matthew 6, verse 25 to 27. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? Jesus told his followers, they don't need to worry. Isn't it interesting that we have like limited speeches and lessons from Jesus directly, but one of the things that he chose to address is worry. And he says not to God knows that this is an issue for so many people. And he tells us to stop and reminds us that the creator of everything is taking care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And he can take care of us too. The Bible says that we bear the image of God and we are much more valuable in his sight than sparrows and lilies. So don't worry because God is looking after you. Another verse, one of my favorites is 1 Peter 5 verse 7 which says to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God cares deeply for you and he wants your worry. He wants your anxieties. He wants your doubts. And he wants you to rest assured in the promises that he is looking out for you. The last few years have been prime time for a worrier. We've been able to worry about the pandemic, about our country, about our freedoms, our futures and our finances. And there have been reasons upon reasons to worry. But throughout all of that, God says, give it to me. I wanna deal with it. Let me take those burdens from you. Back to Matthew, verse 31, 34 and chapter six. Jesus continues and says, So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So what's a soundtrack that you can apply to your worry? How about this? God loves me, and he knows what I need. Maybe that's something we can actually apply to our lives every day. In the book that inspired a lot of the series soundtracks, the author John Acuff talks about his experience waking up every day, standing in front of the mirror, telling himself different soundtracks to take with him into the day. Things like Today is brand new and tomorrow is too. I've got a gift worth giving. Momentum is messy. And so on. And then he encourages his readers to try this too. And this might kind of sound like mumbo jumbo to you. It kind of did to me, but I thought, why not? I'll give this a go. So I've been doing this for the past week, standing in front of the mirror, saying positive things about my life and my situations. And it's nice. Sometimes it's a nice reminder that momentum is messy. And you might have alarm bells going off like, okay, this guy's getting weird. That kind of sounds like manifesting or maybe something that's like kind of prosperity gospel. This guy wants us to start being successful by saying things to ourselves in the mirror. That doesn't, that's not in the Bible that's not really the case. What I want us to do is to inject some things that are true into our hearts and our minds. And you can read this passage in Matthew 6 about worry and conclude, yeah, God loves me and he knows what I need. It's in there. And that's a great soundtrack for us. So why not remind yourself of that every day? Test it out. See if maybe it actually becomes easier to turn your worry into worship by reminding yourself that God is looking out for you. I'm not saying to stand in front of the mirror and tell yourself things that aren't true. Don't look yourself in the eye and say things like, I am wealthy, I have no health problems, I have an amazing job that I love, nothing bad ever happens to me. Because likely those things aren't true. Maybe some of them are sort of true, but saying them over and over won't make them true if they're not already. But what can you actually say, or write down or post as a reminder to yourself that might move you closer to God every day, and to living more like Jesus? God loves me and knows what I need. God cares about me. I will choose to worship instead of worry. Or even better, don't just say pithy sayings, say some scripture. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 would be a great example. Or how about this from Jeremiah 17, verse 7 to 8, says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. That is a beautiful verse from the book of Jeremiah that I think would be great to read every day. If you're struggling with worry, the Bible has a lot to say about it. Get these messages into your heart, get them into your mind. It might feel funny at first, but you can say them over and over until you begin to believe them and live them out. And just my one last piece of advice as you do this, as you're looking to scripture, to find things to stand upon and build your life around and to help you with worry or other issues that you may have. When you find that verse that speaks to you, just read the whole chapter. Read what's ahead of it and behind it. Because if you want to stay faithful to God's word and what God says is true, you often just need to read what comes before and after. Because a verse might sound nice, but it might not actually be for you. I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say that for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future from Jeremiah 29 verse 11 is their favorite verse and they don't quite know the context because that's a beautiful verse it's a wonderful promise and honestly I believe that God does have plans for us and God doesn't want to harm us and he wants to give us hope but that verse wasn't about you." It was about the Israelites in exile, so be careful to read the whole chapter. But there is a lot to be found in the Bible to help us. Because I believe that as we do this, we can change our hearts, we can change our minds, and we can change our worry into worship of the one true God who loves us so much more than we can ever understand. I want you to know that there's hope for you. You don't have to be weighed down by worry. You can go into situations that are scary being a little more confident because you know that you have God on your side. You can learn how to trust God with everything that you have and with every situation that you find yourself in because he continuously proves himself worthy. You don't have to worry that it's all on you because God is faithful and he values you so much more than you even realize. You can learn to cast all of your anxiety, all of your worry, your nervousness on God because he cares for you and he always will. So meditate on his word. Meditate on what is true and say it until you believe it. Remind yourself of what God says to us. And see if God doesn't just help you with your worry. Let's pray today. God, I thank you that you actually really care about us. Thank you that you know all of the situations all of the things that we're anxious about, every worry that we have, you know our worst fears and you're willing to take them on because you care so much about each and every one of us. God, I pray this week that as we go, that we would be able to turn worry into worship, that we would know the truth of your word and that we would begin to believe it more and more every day and live more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, did here on the earth. Help us to live like you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. I hope you have a great week. Um, If you want to get in contact with us more, you can find everything you need to know on our website, clcwinnipeg.ca. There's links below. And if you're watching from Winnipeg and you don't have a church you're connected to, we meet every Sunday morning at 9.45 and 11.15 a.m. Our services are about an hour long. And then we also have a Ukrainian fellowship that meets every Sunday at 2 p.m. And uh, if you're in the city, we would love to get to know you. If not, we're so glad you're part of this online community and watching our messages online. We're so grateful for you. And uh, we hope to see you again next week. God bless you.